Let's now turn to the Word of God, to the penultimate book of the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13, and we're reading the entire chapter. Zechariah chapter 13, and from verse 1, let us hear the Word of God. On that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and from uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet. I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Amen. So read God's holy word. I'll turn with me again to uh, Zechariah chapter 13, and our text this morning is, is verse 7 where we'll be thinking of the meaning of the cross, the meaning of the cross. At the beginning of this year, I I planned to to visit someone in hospital. I went to the nearby Lambeg railway station, uh, as usual, and I was surprised that that, uh, no one else was there. Thought they were, well, everyone's on holiday, they're maybe still lying in bed. Then I noticed a sign, no trains running during the Christmas New Year period. So I had to abandon my plan uh, to walk walk home and then take the car. Human beings are often caught out by circumstances. Being caught out by circumstances happens to us at different times in the management of our homes and uh, in family life. Also with respect to work and holidays. 
But God is not like man. The infinite and sovereign Lord that we worship here this morning is never, he is never caught out by circumstances because he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. For example, when our first parents sinned in the Garden of Eden, we, do, we don't find God in a panic. We, we don't see God having to improvise in order to rescue something from the mess of the fall. No, immediately, the plan of salvation is announced by God. It was a plan conceived by God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity. It was a plan to crush the enemy. It was a plan to crush Satan. And it was a plan that would redeem God's people. But to accomplish that plan and save his people, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would suffer. And we have it in Genesis 3.15, God addressing uh, the evil one, God addressing Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in the garden uh, <coughs> of Eden, the cross was announced. <coughs> so therefore, <coughs> we should not be surprised to find a multitude of references throughout the Old Testament informing us of salvation through the seed of the woman, informing us of salvation through the suffering servant, informing us of salvation through the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have such a reference of the Messiah's suffering <coughs> at the beginning of the psalm, that we were singing, Psalm 22. There the suffering servant cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? <clears throat> or in Psalm 69, verse 20, uh, in that verse we hear the cry of Christ from the cross. And this was a thousand years before he was nailed to the cross. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. <clears throat> and, and this morning, <clears throat> this morning in our text, <clears throat> Zechariah 13, verse 7, it is the voice of God the Father calling for the sacrifice of his Son. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. <clears throat> well, how can we be sure that this text is in fact a reference to Jesus Christ? Could we not be accused of reading into the text Something that's not there. Well, on this occasion, that charge cannot be made, for we have an infallible interpretation from the lips of Christ himself. On the eve of his crucifixion, when he was about to be arrested, Jesus told his disciples, Matthew twenty six thirty one, You will all fall away because of me this night, 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Mark, in his gospel narrative, records the same statement. Mark 14, 27. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So without any hesitation, we can say that the shepherd... Uh, Before us in the text is is Jesus, is Jesus Christ. And quite clearly the author of these words is God the Father himself. So with this information to guide us in our interpretation of the text, we see first of all, the cross reminds us of a unique relationship. The cross reminds us of a unique relationship. As we have noticed, verse 7 focuses our attention on the cross. Away goes sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And at this point, we we want to consider the, the two principal characters in the text. The author of these words, the spokesman, it's the Lord of hosts. And then, the object, the one to whom they are addressed, the shepherd. Immediately we get an indication that this is no ordinary shepherd because the Lord of hosts calls him my shepherd. There's that personal pronoun, my, and that alludes to a relationship. And then the words that follow define this more clearly. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. Or to translate it more literally, against the man who is my fellow, or who is my associate. So who can it be? Well, who else can it be but but Jesus Christ? Uh, One commentator, uh, he has no doubts, he writes, he is Jehovah's fellow, his associate, close to next to the Lord as the second person of the Trinity, corresponding to him, one with him in essence. So he is the shepherd, the companion, the associate, the fellow, none other than the Son of God. And when we think of the cross and how there God, the Father, laid upon him the iniquity of us all, we're inclined to to lose sight of or even forget the close affinity that there is and always has been between the first and second person of the Godhead. For example, in Proverbs 8, verse 30, we hear the voice of the Son speaking of his relationship with the Father. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always. Then we have the words of the Son during his days on earth. <clears throat> John fourteen thirty one. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Or John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Then we have the great statements where the voice of the Father is heard pronouncing 
his love for the Son uh, at his baptism and at his transfiguration. At his baptism, Matthew 3, verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. But also at his transfiguration, Matthew 17, verse 5, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So all of this speaks to us of a very unique relationship of the love that existed and always has existed between the Father and the Son. Uh, And that love that we we find expressed here between the persons of, of the Trinity is a love that you and I should seek to emulate in all our relationships, in our relationship with with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in our relationship with one another within the body of Christ. We are made in the image of God, and we're made to glorify God uh, through our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. So the cross reminds us of a unique relationship, But then secondly, the cross presents us with a strange command. The cross presents us with a strange command. We find this command in the middle of our text. Strike the shepherd. Away goes sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd. In these words, Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, The ruler of this world pronounces the death sentence on his fellow, on his associate, on his shepherd, on his beloved one. Now the word strike is the same word that we find in Isaiah 53 in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. Strike the shepherd, smitten by God. And so the cross presents us with this strange command concerning the shepherd whom God the Father loves with an infinite and perfect love, concerning the shepherd who was by his side from all eternity, the command is given clearly, the command is given unequivocally. Strike the shepherd. And yet when we think about it, when we ponder over this command, we discover that really there was nothing strange about it at all. For it was only, it was only through the death of the shepherd that redemption, that salvation, that deliverance from sin and its penalty could be, secure, could be secured for God's elect people. So when when asking why, why, why should the Father issue such a command, such a command as this against the Son, the Son who was the jewel of the Father's heart, the, the Son who was his dearly loved one? Well, the answer that confronts us from Scripture is in those familiar words of John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he gave him to the cross, 
that he gave him to its shame, that he gave him to its suffering, that he gave him to the horrors of hell, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not have that shame, should not have that suffering, should not experience the horrors of hell, but have eternal life, life in all its fullness, life in all its glory, in the home that Christ has gone to prepare for all his people. Now when the time had fully come for the striking, for the slaying of the Son, we see the sword not in the Father's hand, but in the hands of his enemies. Jesus Jesus Christ's death sentence was carried out by wicked men, by those whose purpose was to get rid of Jesus. But as the text affirms and other scriptures reaffirm, it was God the Father who used these wicked men as his instruments to fulfill his eternal purpose. And so, and so having initially focused on the love of the Father for the Son, we now see the, the Father's great love for sinners. <clears throat> we now see the Father's great love for his elect people from every nation under heaven. That comes out clearly in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, <clears throat> Christ died for us. Or in 1 John 4 verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> and so the command came forth from the father's lips <clears throat> to strike the shepherd, to slay the son, the son of his love, because because there was no other way. Nothing else would suffice but the blood sacrifice of God's dearly beloved Son. Nothing and no one else could atone for our sins. Nothing and no one else could deliver us from the penalty of sin but the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Today, God willing, we will handle and partake of the sacramental symbols of bread and wine. And in doing so, we will be saying, personally and corporately, a body broken for me and blood shed for me and Jesus Christ crucified for me. And the marvelous thing about it is that when the shepherd came from heaven's glory and walked this earth, he went willingly. He went willingly to that center cross, there to suffer and die for his people. In his own words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so the appeal goes out afresh to every intending communicant this morning to love him who first loved you. 
The cross reminds us of our unique relationship. The cross presents us with a strange command. And then, thirdly, the cross points us to a gracious provision. The cross points us to a gracious provision. And we find this provision clearly expressed in the words of our text. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. This verse speaks about the sheep being scattered. This is a clear prophecy to the reaction of the disciples when the cross became a reality. They all forsook him and fled. Yet the Lord would not forsake his sheep. As the closing words of our text indicate, I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now the preposition against here in our text can also bear the meaning upon I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And in this context, we take that as its meaning. This means that God, acting in and through the person of his shepherd, will turn his hand upon, come to the aid of his little ones, come to the aid of his despondent, terrified, beleaguered disciples. At the time of the crucifixion, they were truly little ones. But within a a matter of weeks, these weaklings, these deserters, would become the courageous, invincible heralds of the gospel of God's grace, that being on the day of Pentecost. On that occasion, Peter boldly declared before thousands of Jews gathered from around the Mediterranean basin about his saviour, about the shepherd. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So he understood the significance of Zechariah 13 and verse 7 as to why the shepherd was struck, why he was smitten by the Father. Now at that point, we see that the risen, glorified, conquering Saviour had laid his hand of grace upon these weak, fragile earthen vessels and made them mighty instruments of his grace, declaring the gospel uh, to, to the known world. Now this morning we must confess that we are but little ones. We are but little ones, spiritually speaking. And how very much we need the hand of God's grace upon us. The hand of God's grace upon us to reassure us of the Father's love. The hand of God's grace upon us to remind us of the shepherd's care. The hand of God's grace upon us to fill us with the Holy Spirit's power. And then... And then we will become strong. We will become strong in the Lord and mighty instruments in his service. Yes, the cross points us to a gracious provision. The sheep, 
that have been saved by the blood atonement of Christ need to be pastored. They need the loving care of a tender shepherd. And that is all provided for us in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 32 summarizes much of what has been said in this sermon. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And one of the things that the shepherd gives as a strengthening ordinance is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And as we partake of the elements of bread and wine in a few moments' time, may we remember, may it be at the forefront of our minds, the Father's love for the Son, and the Father's love for his elect displayed at the cross, and the tender care with which the Lord watches over all his sheep throughout all the days of their life on earth. As human beings, we are often caught out by circumstances. Then we have to go back to the drawing board. We have to reschedule. We have to devise another way. We often have to improvise. But not so the sovereign Lord of the universe. Not so our loving Heavenly Father. The blood sacrifice of his beloved Son was planned from all eternity, was announced in the Garden of Eden, was prophesied consistently by the prophets, and was executed in time 2,000 years ago on that hillside outside Jerusalem. Yes, through the actions of wicked men, God the Father did strike the shepherd, and in doing so he laid on him the iniquity of us all, that by grace we might become the sons and daughters of his love, and that one day we will dine with the risen, triumphant, glorious shepherd at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. As we linger for a few moments at the table, we will consider the closing words of verse 9 of Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah 13 and the second part of verse 9. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, The Lord is my God. This is the language of relationship. But more than that, it is the language of love. God's covenant love for his people. With respect to his blood-bought children, with respect to his redeemed, those tried and tested, Through the troubles and trials of this life, God says, they will call on my name. Prayer. Prayer is a key feature of a godly man's life. And the prophet assures us that the righteous man or woman responds to trials, responds to difficulties, 
responds to tribulation by seeking the face of God. They will call on my name. We were doing that earlier today in the service. And we will do it every day of our lives. We will call on the name of the Lord. We will speak to the Almighty in prayer. And then we are given this divine assurance. The Lord himself responding. And I will answer them. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. Whatever tomorrow brings, remember, keep close. Keep close, close to your Father in heaven. Remember to turn to him in every situation and circumstance of life. Make your requests known to God and he will respond. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. He's the prayer hearing and the prayer answering God. Then the final words of verse 9 are exceedingly precious. I will say, that's the Lord, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. As Jesus Christ cast his loving eye over all who partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today, he was saying in his heart, these are my people. He was saying, in effect, there are multitudes out there in the world who are not my people. They are estranged from me. They disregard me. They blaspheme my holy name. They are my enemies. But not you. You are my redeemed. You are my blood-brought children. You are my friends. You are my people. And what will the true people of God say in response? And each one will say, The Lord is my God. There is an unbreakable bond between Christ and his people. Nothing and no one can separate a child of God from his Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you partook of the bread and ate it, you were saying, I am his. And as you lifted the cup to your lips and drank, you were also saying, I am his and he is mine forever. <clears throat> and what blessed assurance that provides for the child of God with the knowledge of Christ's covenant love. In our minds and in our hearts, we can face the future, whatever it brings. As we sat at the table of the Lord, many thoughts were most probably going through your mind. <clears throat> Perhaps the words of Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Or perhaps the words of Galatians 2 and 20 <clears throat> about Jesus Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. When we think of the love of Jesus Christ, brought vividly to our senses this morning in the, in the sacrament, and stated with crystal clarity in every page of Scripture, what should your response be? It is to love your Savior. It is to love him. To love him with your entire being. To love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. As John put it in his first epistle, we love because he first loved us. And of course, we must translate that love into action. Bearing in mind what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or as he went on to say a little later in the upper room, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus Christ is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so let each of us, as we leave this sacramental table, demonstrate to Jesus Christ and demonstrate to ourselves and demonstrate to a watching world that we are Christ's friends. And we will do that by consistently and persistently walking in his ways and doing his will. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our thanks extend to heaven for all the blessings that we have experienced this morning. We thank you for time to sing together, time to pray together, time to hear the word together, read and preached, and time to observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Truly, you are good to Israel. Truly, you are good to your beloved people. And so, our Father, may your blessing rest upon us now and always and forevermore. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.